15, beginning in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I'll pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again um, for loving us. Thank you, God, for the redemptive work that you have accomplished and are doing in us. We need you, God, and we pray as we look at your word that you would continue that work that you have given your son for, that you would be honored, glorified, blessed, God, and that our hearts would be drawn to you, yielded to you, Lord Jesus, for your namesake. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, thanks again to John for filling in for me last week. I was in Nevada. Um, I had to learn how to correctly pronounce that. I don't want to say Nevada, but they said, no, it's Nevada. And I'm with some friends there um, speaking at a men's retreat. So it's good to be back. Um, We're wrapping up now Acts 15. And you recall that the first part of the chapter, they've really dodged a major, major bullet. Um, There was a massive doctrinal dispute going on as to whether or not new believers needed to keep the law in order to be saved. And they came to the to the consensus that no, they do not. There are three things they do need to do, and it has nothing to do with salvation, with being saved, but rather with walking in the Lord in a way that honors Him, and that is they needed to recognize the sanctity of life, the sanctity of worship, and the sanctity of marriage. And those are non-negotiables. They are essentials to walking in, in Christ in this fallen world. And so the church rejoices because they don't have to keep the law. Salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone. It'll never be anything other. And so that is hammered and made clear um, for all these new churches. And they're rejoicing at the freedom that they have to walk in Christ in a way that honors Him, but not having to keep the law. And so that was a huge thing that they avoided. And now as we come to verse 36... It's about a division that comes up between Paul and Barnabas that is not doctrinal. When I was in seminary, we had a, had a church history professor that one day, just seemed like off the top of his head, he listed a bunch of things that were unique to Americans. And I don't remember all of them, but one of them that really stood out to me, he says, we love a good fight. And I thought, there may be some truth to that. Um, Last night, we were having a birthday party for Ford, our little grandson, and we got to talking, and I found out that my dad is one-quarter French, which makes me one-eighth French. Is that right? And I promptly said to Patsy, that's why I'm such a romantic. (laughs) And if you know me, I am not a romantic guy. There are things that do characterize us, but yet 
even though there may be things that characterize us as Americans or French or whoever you want to pick in the world, one thing should not characterize us, and that is division and disagreement, being contentious, not prone to reconcile and to be amiable toward each other. So when we read this passage, it really grieves our hearts that these two outstanding men can't agree. And so it really is is not about doctrine, but it is a matter of, for them, both of them, Paul and Barnabas, a matter of conviction and principle, and neither is able or willing to yield. So there's some lessons here for us. So again, it says that it was Paul's idea to go on a second missionary journey. And it really wasn't a missionary journey like the first one was because Paul's intent is just to go back to the churches they've already been at and encourage them. And so since Barnabas is the son of encouragement, what better guy to take with you than the guy who's likely to encourage the people? Barnabas was with them on the first missionary journey, and so another good reason to take Barnabas along. And Barnabas presumably says, great idea, I'm all in. Let's get John Mark and take him with us. Well, you remember, John, also called Mark, or sometimes we refer to him as John Mark, was the guy who bailed on them in the first missionary journey. They hadn't even gone halfway, and he'd had enough. We don't know why, but he left. Paul was not very impressed by that, and he hasn't let go of it. And he goes, he quit one time, he'll quit again. Can't have him. And Barnabas is going, not so fast. I think that there's, there's hope here for John Mark, and we should take him. And they kept um, going back and forth, Paul insisting that they should not take him, and a sharp disagreement arose, and they separated from one another. Sad. So I've given some thought to this, and you may be more on the Barnabas camp, and you go, man, what was wrong with Paul? I hate it when guys like Paul just can't have hope in another person, can't give second chances. And you may be on more of the Paul guy, and you go, doesn't Barnabas understand the risk that's involved here in taking a guy on this trip and he bails a second time? And so as I was thinking through this in my mind, you may be able to add some things to this, but I thought I could hear Barnabas saying, Paul, people make mistakes like you. You made your mistakes. I could hear Barnabas saying, people deserve second chances. Think of Jonah. Think of Peter. He's a god of second chances. I can hear Barnabas saying, we're preaching grace. That's what this whole argument is about that we just worked through. We're not preaching perfection. I think Barnabas would have said, we can minister to John Mark. We can encourage him. Maybe he said, Paul. God is able to redeem this man. He can grow. He can change. Maybe Barnabas said, Paul, I came alongside you when no one else would. I believed you had changed. What's so different with John Mark? I can hear Paul saying, Barnabas, some mistakes are more costly than others. Some decisions are irrevocable. Barnabas, we need faithful, dependable men, ones we can count on. 
Barnabas, it is true we preach grace, but we also preach Christ being strong in our weakness. And John Mark is not an example of what we preach. We preach the sufficiency of Christ and his grace. John Mark has denied what we preach. John Mark isn't ready. He isn't dependable. So when it comes down to it, maybe Barnabas would have summarized and said, this is the deal. This is the principle that I cannot move from. People need grace. And maybe Paul would have said, this is the principle I can't move from. Grace is sufficient. And John Mark has denied the sufficiency of God's grace by running when things got tough. So who's supposed to yield? They're both right. We do preach grace. And grace is sufficient. So there's no excuse for quitting. Wow. For Barnabas, the ministry is people. And people are messy. And John Mark needs to be ministered to. That's it. Nothing more. For Paul... The ministry is hard, and we need dependable people. We need people who are more able to minister to others than they are in need of being ministered to. I don't know about you, but I can identify with both guys. And sometimes I'm in the Barnabas camp, believe it or not. And sometimes, maybe more times than not, I'm in the Paul camp. So I can identify with both of them. I wonder, what did this whole debate and dissension, what did it say to John Mark? Because <laughs> he knows this is going on, right? And one guy's foreign, the other guy's against him. They're both tremendous men, mature men. Was it discouraging? Was it challenging? Maybe it was both. What did this say to the churches where Paul goes back to the same churches that he was in, and the first time around, Barnabas was there, and when Paul comes back, Barnabas isn't there. And now every place Paul stops, he has to explain why Barnabas isn't with him. That would have been bad. They're both right. Could one of them have yielded? I'm not so sure. So here are some lessons, 12 lessons that I take from this. Spiritually mature brothers in Christ can strongly disagree. These are not new believers. They are rock-solid, mature men. And they strongly disagree with each other. Neither person is necessarily wrong. You can have strong disagreement and have both people be right. That's why it's so hard to, to move, because they're both right. Spiritually mature brothers in Christ can't always work together. That's a hard truth to face. Because you think, you ought to all be able to work together. 
But when you have personal convictions that are right, and somebody else has personal convictions that are right, but those convictions oppose each other, you can't necessarily work together. But they can love and respect each other. And to the credit of these two men, we never hear a negative word spoken from one against the other. Never. Even though they had strong disagreement and they separated from each other, Paul has nothing but good to say about Barnabas. And later, because we, was, we assume because of Barnabas' influence on John Mark, we don't know for sure, but we assume that because of that influence, John Mark was restored and actually became a very useful person to Paul. And Paul said that in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, and bring along John Mark, for he is useful to me in the ministry. So it was a huge turnaround for him. And we know that it is Mark who will later write the gospel of Mark. That's a pretty big deal. So God uses him to write inspired scripture. So thank the Lord for Barnabas in coming along. Division over doctrine, significant doctrine, like how we are saved, may need to result in broken fellowship. As hard as that is. And many times the church errs because it doesn't address heresy. In the name of grace, it just lets it go on. Well, that's wrong. The church has to confront heretical teaching. And it may mean broken fellowship. The scripture speaks to that. That is grounds for discipline. When there is clear heretical teaching going on in a church. Division over principles and convictions may also need to result in separation as co-workers, but not broken friendships. We have to be big enough, mature enough to say, this is not a matter of doctrine. This is a matter of personal conviction, personal principle. Our friendship should not be lost over this. I had a friend that he was at the wedding of one of his children, and he and the new father-in-law for his child um, were having a bit of a tiff at the wedding over who should be in the wedding picture, because they had a big family wedding, both families together for one massive picture, and there was a person on the other side being included in the wedding who was not yet family. And so my friend said, no, he can't be in the family picture. He isn't family. And the other father-in-law said, yes, he's as good as family. And we want him in the family picture. And so a small thing, and neither of them was willing to yield, and they were about to lose a friendship that they had enjoyed for many, many years. And so my friend wisely stopped and said, we are about to cross a line here that we will never recover from. Our friendship is not worth this. And he's made a proposal. Why don't we ask our kids what they want to do? It's their wedding. That <laughs> sounds like a smart thing to do. And so the two men went to their two kids and said, should this person be in the family picture? And both of them said, oh, yeah, by all means, 
Okay, problem solved. But neither of those two men was willing to yield on a matter of, for them, strong conviction. But my friend recognized, whatever happens, you ought to be able to keep your friendship. Spiritual maturity and doctrinal agreement should not prevent, does not prevent disagreement from arising. You can be spiritually mature and have doctrinal agreement, and still there's going to be disagreements that take place. We have to just recognize this. It's part of being human. The important thing is to avoid sinning as we disagree. Too much heat, harsh words, making it personal. Honestly, this is why I've found, in my own experience, it's a lot harder to disagree with family members than it is with non-family. Because with non-family, you tend to be a little more careful about what comes out of your mouth. But with family, um, we tend to say, the first thing that comes to mind. Too much heat, harsh words, making it personal. And so much is lost. We sin over something that is not in itself sinful. Another lesson, no one should be forced to compromise their convictions. Convictions should be respected. When we don't respect people's convictions, we are not respecting them. I may not agree with them, but I should be mature enough to recognize this is not a doctrinal issue. And however they came to their convictions, it represents who they are. And if I love them, I'll respect them and allow them to hold their convictions and not feel that they have to be defeated. Everyone should be respected, but we can't necessarily work together when convictions contradict each other, when they clash. We should seek peaceful resolution. We must seek to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Even if we can't work together, we can and should continue forward in ministry. We just can't continue together. So Barnabas... Disagreeing with Paul doesn't mean Barnabas should quit the ministry. It doesn't mean Paul should quit the ministry. They need to move forward. People have different roles to play in God's economy. Ministries have different roles. We cannot be all things to all people. We just can't be. Barnabas' ministry was coming alongside people. That was not Paul's ministry. Not saying Paul never came alongside people, but that was not the main thrust of his ministry. Paul had to stay true to his gifting and his calling. And so did Barnabas. Great disappointments often follow great victories. In the first part of Acts, tremendous victory. And then the last paragraph of Acts, big disappointment. Peter, I'm sorry, Paul and Barnabas were excited about the victory, as they should have been. 
but they couldn't work out a personal matter of principle. I think it's obvious, as we look at the rest of Acts, that God used this separation for good. Not saying God caused it, but God works all things together for good. Even dissension between brothers, God can bring good. John Mark was restored, and he grew, and he became useful. Paul chose Silas to go with him. It seems that Silas was a Roman citizen like Paul. And when they cross over into Macedonia, and they both get thrown into prison, Paul is able to say, we're not just walking out of here in the, under the cover of darkness. We're Roman citizens, and we were mistreated. He couldn't have said that if Barnabas had been in prison with him. So Silas became a more strategic partner as a Roman citizen with Paul than Barnabas would have been. We know that because of this separation and John Mark not being there, that Paul needed a John Mark. And in chapter 16, he comes across Timothy. He may not even have his eyes open for a Timothy if John Mark had been with him. And so Timothy steps into the void and becomes a man that Paul passes the baton to, calls him his true son in the faith, a man that Paul looked to to help nurture the churches that had been raised up. And we also know that Luke came onto the scene in the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. These are all things that seem to be a direct result of the separation that took place between Paul and Barnabas. But I would just make one final observation here that helps me a great deal. And I think that this division between Paul and Barnabas perhaps came down to one simple thing, different giftings. And God determines the gifts. We can't change our giftings. We shouldn't try. Barnabas had the gift of encouragement. So we can see why he would so, be so strongly compelled to help John Mark. Good for you, Barnabas. He is motivated by this. He's functioning out of his gifting. Paul certainly was used of God to encourage many people. But I think Paul would say that he would, that was not his gifting. Teaching, perhaps. Leadership, perhaps. Not sure what he would say, but I would think he would say, I'm not a Barnabas. Gifting results in motivation. And we are all too prone to judge others based upon our gifting and motivation. So we come to a church, I've said this before, you come to a church and you may have the gift of evangelism. And so every church that you will visit you will evaluate on how they are doing with evangelism because that's your gifting. And you want everybody to be gifted like you are. And you can go to the Bible and say, we're all supposed to evangelize. This is a big deal. Amen. Amen. Who would deny that? But the rest of the body of Christ who does not have the gift of evangelism, though they should be evangelism, are still not going to be motivated like the person with the gift of evangelism. If you have the gift of mercy, then you're going to come into a church and go, how are we doing at loving each other in this church? 
I'm not feeling the love, right? I'm going somewhere else. Somebody didn't look at me today. When they did look at me, they weren't smiling. I'm out of here. Not a loving church. If there's a gift of greeting, greeting people, that was Max that used to be in our church. He's caring for his wife and is not in church now very often with us. I don't know if that's a spiritual gift, but if it is, that man has it. And he'd walk in. We've had people say, I'm in Bernie Bible Church because of the guy that hands out the bulletins. Praise God. Another church, you'd go, wouldn't go to that church. They don't hand out bulletins like Max does. (laughs) If you're motivated toward teaching, you're looking for a church where there's good teaching. And you'll judge other churches because it doesn't come up to what you're looking for. So you can see, this, this helps account for why we even have different churches. Because of the motivation that's there, and behind that, the gifting that God's given us. From the gifts come motivations. And from the motivations come ministries. And no two people have the same gifting, the same motivation, or the same ministry. And certainly no two churches. So we have to acknowledge this. And say, you know, one person, one church cannot be everything to everybody. One person certainly cannot. We do need each other. And God is going to use different people at different times exactly as we need. And that's not something that we can entirely orchestrate, nor should we. But God will take care of those who are his. And we need to take care not to unnecessarily divide, not to become at enmity with people who are simply motivated differently than we are. Paul and Barnabas did not become enemies, and neither should we. On matters of personal conviction that are not doctrinal or explicitly stated in Scripture, show grace. They couldn't work together. They couldn't travel together. But they were still friends. There was grace that was shown. They were not judgmental toward each other. I think that comes out. They strongly disagreed. But I think if we, you and I had been there, there would have been no words that had to be drawn back. No harsh judgments. No mischaracterizing their hearts and motivations. Both were highly motivated with purity in their hearts. But they couldn't work together. At our church here at Bernie Bible, just to kind of bring it down to where we live, I have so many times over the years commented to people how God has preserved us as a body from dissension and division. I thank God for it. There's never been a church split to come off Bernie Bible. Praise God. We've never had contentious board meetings, um, business meetings, praise God. 
It's been a wonderful church of peace and harmony and unity. I will say that sometimes we have had people who have left who disagreed with our convictions or our way of doing things. Seldom have people left over our doctrine. When they've left, it's been for things like, you really ought to have more programs. I understand that. Some churches have lots of programs, and there's a place, I think, it's for that. I, because I'm not motivated toward that, I tend to think it's overdone. But I appreciate those churches that have strong youth programs. I appreciate those churches that have strong Awana programs. There is a place. Those that have, you know, mother preschool programs and, and, and different things that go on. There is a place, a vital place for different programs that churches are doing. And those that have left have usually left because they just were looking for something that wasn't Bernie Bible Church, at least at this time. But I can say that most of them did not leave angry. And there is still friendship. And I appreciate that very much. I would rather they stay, but I'm grateful that they were not contentious. And I continue to pray that the unity and brotherhood is preserved and maintained. Any other religious book, we would not have a passage like this to look at. Because the failures of men are glossed over. But God gives us a book where we see men as they really are. And again, I'm not saying this is a great failure here. I, would, I don't like that there was sharp disagreement. That kind of tells me maybe they, they might have hurt each other a little bit here. I don't know for sure. But I really appreciate that the Bible tells us that good, godly, mature people can disagree. And neither one of them is wrong when it comes to things that are not doctrinal. And I would pray that that would be constantly maintained in our fellowship as well, and that we would realize that no church and no individual can be everything to every person. Just can't, it's not possible. We've had to look at that uh, over the years at His Hill. At what, and we can't just define it, but with, we have, with what spectrum of humanity can we minister? And obviously, the Bible school at His Hill cannot minister to the, to the entire spectrum of humanity. It's just not possible. We, we have to live in the boundaries and the confines that God has established for us. This is what God has given. Sometimes God enlarges that. Sometimes he changes it, takes things away, whatever. A lot of that depends upon the staff that you have at any given time. Because God ministers through people. And it's hard. Because you want to minister to everybody. But you can't always be everything to everyone. Chapter 16, they start their second missionary journey. And just a couple of observations here. I think, if anything, in these first few verses of chapter 16, 
we see that God is leading in numerous ways. It says in chapter 16, verse 1, And he also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him. So this becomes the guy who fills the void that John Mark would presumably have been in, a Timothy. So we see that God is able to, to raise up people for the ministry that he wants to have with us, through us, and, and among us. And so God brought along a Timothy. And again, we see this, const, God constantly do this. So when, when churches are, are, they see an area where they, a, a ministry within their fellowship that needs to take place. Nobody's more concerned about that need being filled than God. It's like when God said to Adam, God, Adam didn't know he had a need for a wife. How could he not know that? Well, he didn't. He was pretty happy being a single guy until he started seeing all the animals paired up. And he goes, you know, what? something's not right here. And, and I'm alone. And God said, right, now I'll give you a wife. And so he, God let Adam see the need. And then so God could meet the need. Adam didn't meet the need. God met the need. And it has to be that same way that we live our lives. We'll see the need and then turn to God and say, God, here's the need. Is there anything you want me to do to meet this need? And sometimes God will say yes, and he'll tell us what we need to do. Other times God will say, there's nothing you can do. Wait on me, and I'll take care of this. And so this was a situation where Paul didn't go out and, and put out a, you know, a, a, a job opportunity and say, you know, he didn't put it on the Internet and said, I need a, I need a guy. He, he just, it, it just happened. And he goes, wow, this is, I didn't even, this, this is here. Here's the guy. This is exactly who I need. And so God sovereignly supplies the right people for the right ministry at the right time. It's amazing how God does this. But this man... Timothy was half Jew from his mother's side, half Gentile from his father's side. Well, that's a problem when you go to minister to Jewish people, which was a significant part of Paul's ministry because they would have asked, knowing Paul had a Gentile father, they would have asked, as, has Timothy been circumcised? And Timothy would have had to say no. And they go, well, you're not coming in our synagogue and teaching the word. Because see, Paul was going to synagogues, and he was teaching the word in those synagogues. They would say, you have anything to say, brother? And he'd stand up and he'd speak from the, pre from the scriptures, just as Jesus did. And so it's unlikely Timothy would have been given that opportunity. So doctrinally, he did not have to be circumcised. But as a matter of just practicality, he better get circumcised. And so God gave Paul the wisdom to understand this is not a doctrinal issue. This is a practical issue. It's a cultural issue. But he gave him the wisdom to say, Timothy, we got to take care of this. And so Timothy had to get circumcised. But when it came to Titus, who was 100% Gentile, Paul will write in Galatians and say they wanted him to be circumcised too. And Paul said, ain't going to happen. Because there he knew they would, that would be messing with the gospel if they said that Titus, a Gentile, had to, to, to live according to the law. Nope, not going to happen. And he dug in on that one. So that takes the wisdom of God. Timothy, 
circumcise him. Titus, no way. So God is supplying the right man at the right time for the ministry that God has raised up. And God is supplying the wisdom for living in potentially contentious circumstances. In verse 4, now they were passing through the cities and they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number day by in, in number daily. And then it says they passed through the Phygerian and Galatian regions, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. How were they forbidden? Doesn't say. And so we can think maybe it was just the sense of the Spirit of God within them, all these men collectively, and they're just saying, this, we're not feeling good about this. And so they took that as being from the Holy Spirit. That's one answer. It could be that there was actual circumstantial reasons that they were not allowed, couldn't, they just physically could not go into those regions. We don't, you know, that could have been circumstantial that God was leading them. And it says in verse 7, and when they had come to Mysia, and they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not them. So they keep getting blocked here, there, everywhere. And if you look on a map, they tried to go south, they tried to go north, they tried to go east, and they kept getting blocked. So the only thing that's left is west. And so then, verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So this is right across the Aegean Sea, due west from where they were. Come over here. Well, the others didn't see the vision. Only Paul saw it. Verse 10, and when he had seen the vision, immediately we, this is the first time we is in Acts, and so this tells us Luke has just now dropped onto the scene. So somewhere while there can't go north, can't go east, can't go south, Luke appears. And now Luke is a traveling companion with them. Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So a couple of points here. When Paul gets this vision, he doesn't just assume that he has heard from God. Because even unbelievers have visions and dreams. Okay, So just having a spiritual dream or a spiritual vision doesn't mean that came from God. And Paul is mature enough to recognize that, so he wakes up the next morning and he says, guys, i got to tell you what I saw last night. And he brings in all of his traveling companions with him, relates it to them, and they unanimously decide this is from God. They didn't just take Paul's word for it, and Paul didn't just stand on the vision. In fact, Paul's going to say that we should not stand on visions and dreams. Okay? And so that's why he goes with these men and confers with them and says, we can't go north, can't go south, can't go east. I got this vision, and it says go west. What do you guys think? I think they would have gone west even if they hadn't had the vision, right? What are the options left? And so they went west according to the vision that Paul had had. That's the first observation. The first, this, and the second is at the end of verse 9, in the vision, this Macedonian man says, come over to Macedonia and help us. What is the help? Well, if your ministry, like Barnabas, was one of encouragement, we need to go over there and encourage those folks. If your ministry is hospital visitation, that's where you're gifted, that's your ministry, then we need to go to the hospitals over there and visit folks. If your ministry is healing, we need to go over there and heal folks. 
But that wasn't Paul's ministry, any of those things. Even though he healed, he visited people in hospitals, he encouraged people, Paul says, we have been called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when they had the vision, he had the vision, come and help us, he interprets it, preach the gospel to them. Because that is what God has called us to do. And so that's what they went. They're going to go straight over. And then from there we get into the details of the second missionary journey. Practical, down-to-earth stuff. We shouldn't take from this that God always leads through visions and dreams. If God does speak to us in a vision or dream, as Scripture said, we don't stand on that. We stand on God's Word. But this does show us in the different ways that God is in sovereign control over our lives. To direct people to the right ministry at the right time. I'm constantly praying that all through the years. Right people, right time for the ministry that you have, Lord. The Lord gives wisdom in the midst of circumstances. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all men generously and without reproach. And God is constantly in the business of giving us the wisdom we need so that we can live in a way that mitigates the dissension and strife. We can live at peace, maintaining the unity. And God directs the steps of his people. Sometimes in this way, other times circumstantially, but God directs our steps and we can know that he is guiding us. Different people, different gifts, different motivations, different ministries to the glory of God. Amen? I'll close this in prayer. God, thank you so much for your ways with us, that in the great diversity of your body, that we can have unity like this world knows nothing about. And at this time, God, when there is so much dissension, so much division and anger and strife, God, all the more important that we as your people live in a way that does not demonstrate the ways of the world. That we be able to disagree and love each other. Maybe to have to not be able to work in the same ministry, but can still sit down at the same table and eat together, pray together, and maintain the friendship that we have in Christ. I pray, God, that we would be wise careful that what we divide over God that it would be essential and that how we divide that it wouldn't be dishonoring to Jesus thank you God that we're alive at this time where your church truly a light set on a hill that we can be part of that and that we can be examples before this world that is striving and, and working and, and warring after what you've simply given to us through faith in Christ. I pray that we would truly reflect, God, your goodness and grace through our love for each other as well as our love for you. In Christ's name, amen.